Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Recast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, and follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. All right. If I sound a little tired, a little under, let's see, a little, little short of energy, it's because I am. It's past midnight. I'm in Las Vegas covering... Uh, Team USA, and I could be giving you a ton of stuff on what's going on with the national team, conversations that I've had with a variety of people for some stories that I'm working on for Bleacher Report, but uh, I want to conclude, hopefully, uh, my stories from the Warriors' old home. This is part four, and I believe it will be the last part, but we shall see. It may run long because my my intention is to uh, finally wrap this up. I, I if I go any longer, this is going to end up sounding like a Ken Burns project, and I don't know that I intended that, or for those of you who were asking for it, <laughs> that you wanted it either. So uh, we left off with the Latrell Sprewell PJ Carlissimo choking incident, which. Uh, a season later led to another regi- uh, regime change. Spree was traded to New York for a host of old veterans that could handle PJ's tough love approach and all remnants of the enticing talent from the 94 playoff team were gone, as was any chance of making the playoffs. Now, I left the Bay Area for the Washington Post in 1997, spending a year getting lost in the nexus of Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. First moved there, they were just building what was then the MCI Center, so they put us on, put the team on the road a lot. I was in corporate housing. It took me a good six months to finally figure out where I lived and where I wanted to go and how to get in and out of, of D.C., and 
so it was funny when I first got there. The Post sports editor, uh, George Solomon, who hired me, said, "Just give me a year before you go to ESPN." And I couldn't understand why he would say that. Uh, making it to the Washington Post, the same paper that had rejected my application for an internship when I was in college, the home of George Will and Ben Bradley and Bob Woodward was was a high watermark for my career. I mean, I was at the freaking Washington Post. There was a good chance, and I thought about this various days, there's a good chance the president was reading my work that morning. Uh, ESPN had leaned on my reporting on the Chris Webber, Don Nelson saga, but that was a good two years in my rearview window. If they were interested, surely I thought I would have heard from them before now. As it turned out, it was almost exactly a year when ESPN came calling, and what George knew that I didn't is that the people in Bristol, Connecticut, especially at that time, were very East Coast-centric when it, looked, when it came to looking for new talent, and they largely mined it from the Post, the New York Times, and the Boston Globe. You look at whether it's Rachel Nichols, Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, uh, go down the line, um, Mark Stein, generally the people that they hired came from one of those uh, papers. In any event, um, Peter Gammons, another example. Anyway, uh, I turned down ESPN's first offer. And I, I tell you that not to, it's a humble brag, I guess it is, but uh, only to reflect how much, one, I loved working for The Post and the fact that for a writer, it wasn't a no-brainer uh, going to ESPN. I, I knew that I needed to go someplace that papers were not long. Uh, their, their run was, uh, was coming to an end. And that multimedia was the place to go. But the fact that the Post was paying me more than ESPN initially offered was a factor too. Now, we eventually got the money right. And Solomon's prophecy came true. Primarily because there was one thing the Post couldn't do for me, and that was allow me to live in the Bay Area. I was born and raised in Cincinnati. I bounced around from New York to San Diego after going to school and working for a year in New Hampshire. But I can honestly say that when I left for D.C., it was the first time I was desperate to find a way to go back. Now, renovating the arena had earned the Warriors the right to host the All-Star Game in 2000 and I was back in the Bay Area by then. The highlight of the weekend will certainly go down as the dunk, dunk contest, or more accurately, the dunk exhibition by Vince Carter, since it really wasn't a contest. It's for that reason, and that reason only, that I put it second to the one in 2016 when Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon kept one-upping each other with one oh-my-God dunk after another. I won't say nothing will ever top that because as the athleticism of players continues to rise, uh, the ways in which they dunk a basketball surely will too. But you still need guys to come through with the lights bright and the pressure on, and there's no way to guarantee that. But I put being there when Vince put on the greatest solo dunk performance as well as being there when Zach and Aaron went at it on the list with being there when Jordan hit the shot over Brian Russell in Salt Lake City. Now, there are a few other moments in between Jordan's championship and second three-peat clincher and the dunk contests, but they are on the list. 
2000 All-Star Weekend was also the weekend that I was asked to play in the Celebrity All-Star Game. I assume Wikipedia has the Celebrity Game history starting in 2003 because that's when ESPN began to televise it. But rest assured, there was one in 2000 and we had some legitimate celebrities in it. Terrell Owens was one of my teammates. And I want to say the tennis twins, Mike and Bob Bryan, were on the other team and that one of them guarded me. I think. I know a pro tennis player who played doubles guarded me because I was annoyed that he was more athletic than I expected. I thought, I got a tennis player guarding me. I am going to light it up. Terrell said afterward he expected me to shoot more, and the truth of it was, one, Terrell was so good, and I was having more trouble with my damn tennis player than I expected. I spent most of the game looking for ways to get T.O. the ball. Uh, and if there's a line between holding back and trying to do too much, I've invariably been on the on the trying to trying to do too much side of it. This was the rare occasion where I just wasn't feeling it, and yes, I regret it. In one, just since we're on All Star Weekend celebrity games, uh, one of the odder double duties that I've had is I served both as a sideline reporter and commissioner for the 2007 Celebrity Game in New Orleans. My duty as commissioner, coincidentally, was to officially clear my former teammate, Terrell, to join one of the teams at halftime. The entire ordeal had a WWE feel to it, but you, look, you can't possibly care about the storyline for (laughs) that dramatic turn of events for me to give a recount here. So, um, besides, we need to keep this moving or the uh, the ghost of Ken Burns is going to be visiting us. So, next five years were a good time to cover the entire league for anyone living in the Bay Area because the Warriors were like a web page that you keep resetting because the activity buttons won't fully load. They would do just enough things right, like draft Jason Richardson, get Gilbert Arenas in the second round, trade a washed Billy Owens and Jason Caffey for Bobby Sura, and enough things wrong, like flipping Vince Carter for Antoine Jameson on draft night or not finding a way to re-sign Arenas or overhauling the coaching staff every two years to stay mired in mediocrity, a 30-something win team four years in a row. Now, Chris Cohan, the owner, finally opted to go local and familiar, first hiring Chris Mullen, Warriors legend, as his GM, and then giving Mullen the clearance to hire Stanford coach Mike Montgomery as the head coach. And at least this time they got the order of hiring correct, and someone in Mullen who understood all the talent in the world doesn't matter without team chemistry. Someone who also had enough respect that he could entice players that otherwise might not be interested in a rebuilding situation to give it a go, at the right price, of course. Now, I knew Mike, for all his success at Stanford, might not be cut out for the NBA after his, per- his first preseason game. As I remember, it, we were down in L.A., and it was uh, a quick round-robin set of games between the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and Warriors. And in the post-game press conference outside the locker room, Montgomery looked at, as if he'd just run a marathon. This is after his first preseason game. His hair's all askew. 
He'd unbuttoned his collar, loosened his tie, and he was tearing into this energy bar. And first comment he made was, man, if they run a play and you can't stop it, they just keep running it. (laughs) Welcome to the NBA was my first thought. And my second, yikes, this is not exactly a good sign. So for the uninitiated, the college game generally doesn't work like that. Whether it's because college coaches want to keep their players happy or not overwork any one of them in particular or getting teenagers to do the exact same thing two times in a row is a bridge too far, you rarely see college teams operate that way. But the NBA game is all about imposing your will on the other team and finding a way to do that is the challenge. So if you find a weakness... You pound the hell out of it until the opponent is forced to overcompensate to protect it, thereby ideally exposing something else. Montgomery also never had to deal with anybody at Stanford like Baron Davis or Monte Ellis, who was a straight-out-of-high-school second-round pick who had survived growing up on the wrong side of Memphis. Uh, So, after two years, Monty was gone, gliding into retirement with a healthy NBA golden parachute, and the pressure was now on Mullen to deliver a winner. And I'll never forget the call I got from him shortly before the press conference announcing the return of Don Nelson as head coach. Mully was driving down from Tahoe to make the announcement. Uh, I was on the speaker in his car, and he says, what do you think? And I said, well, I think he's the only coach you could hire right now who can get you to the playoffs. But there are always dead bodies when Nelly comes in, and there's usually one in your chair. And Mully said that he knew that he just he needed he needed Nelly from 7:30 to 9:30, and that he would he could handle the rest. Planned to keep Nelly on a short leash leash contractually, and that Nelly's love for money would keep him in line. And keep in mind, this was this was Nelly after a run that had quickly turned sour with the Knicks and a run with the Mavs that eventually went sour, ending in a very ugly uh, split with Mark Cuban. Trust me, he was not on anyone's list for another job. So keep that in mind when you hear how this turns out. Basically, Mully threw Nelly a lifeline. And you could say, hey, Nelly Nelly came through. Nonetheless, Mully did Nelly a solid. So, Nelly comes in. Mully makes a shrewd midseason trade with the Pacers, taking advantage of their need to clean house after the malice in the palace, and the we believe Warriors are created. Lo and behold, 42 and 40 regular season, squeak into the playoffs as the eighth seed, and who do they face but the Mavs, who Nelly knows in and out, especially how to frustrate Dirk Nowitzki the league MVP, and the same Nowitzki that Nelly wanted to trade after his rookie year. I don't know how many people know that, but the fact of the matter is uh, Dirk was pretty soft coming into the league, and Nelly was frustrated, wanted to move him. Ultimately, they didn't. Ultimately, Dirk blossomed into a star. But Nelly didn't have a whole lot of play- patience for young players, as anybody who's followed him has to know. In any event, Eighth-seeded Warriors upset the top-seeded Mavericks. A garbage can is booted by Dirk. A hole in the wall outside the visiting locker room in Oracle is memorialized. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. But the most amazing thing that season, for me, may have been when I showed up with a camera crew in my role with ESPN and walked into the locker room and turned a corner and nearly ran right into Nelly. And... He says, you need me? Now, keep in mind, the last time Nelly and I had talked directly or had been in this close of space one-on-one was all the way back in the midst of his battle with Weber in which he told me I was a piece of my newspaper was a piece of and that I should never call him again. We had seen each other since then, but it was generally in scrums and we just did, there were situations where there wasn't there just wasn't a need for either of us to say anything. I believe he repeated the first line, by the way, at least once more. And that was also my first lesson that just because someone gets really, really mad at you, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. I learned that that was my second year on the beat, second year covering the league. Every word I wrote about that situation was true and accurate. It just wasn't what Nelly wanted the public to know. Anyway, I was so shocked. I was, here's Nelly. He's giving me a one-on-one. <laughs> Let's sit down and do this. I muddled my way through that TV interview. I was not prepared to ask him questions. I don't even know if it aired. It makes me smile the same way him saying he'd lie to me if he had to, did, and does. Anytime sh- someone shows me their hand with no regard for what that hand says about them, the brazen honesty just tickles me. I don't know that it was, honestly, I don't know that it was ever truly personal for Nelly. He was just going to do what was best for him. And in this case, being on ESPN, talking about the resurgent warriors under his guidance was good for Nelly. Now, a year later, Mully and Nelly were both up for contract extensions. And Nelly had one more year on his deal and... Mullen, as a GM, didn't want to extend him. wasn't that he wasn't going to keep him. He just didn't want to extend him until that year was out. And he knew Nelly would be on his best behavior to get another deal. But Nelly had other ideas. He had been working on team president Bobby Rao. And by the way, the entire front office of the Warriors during this time, I'm not going to give all the stories here, but it really it could have been... It could, it could have been a reality show on MTV. Uh, Bobby Rowell was the team president on the, on the business side, and Nelly was telling him that 
you know what, you, you could run the, a little help from me, you could run the basketball side as well. I'm not sure that you really need Molly. And Bobby Rowell took the bait. Short of it is, Nelson got his extension. Mully soon found himself out of a job. And Larry Riley was moved into the GM role, one of Nelly's closest friends. When the Warriors' new ownership came in after a 26-win season, Nelly knew he was gone. I left ESPN because I was spending more and more time in Bristol and on the road in general, and now I had two young kids. And one night I went in to kiss my daughter goodnight and told her I wouldn't be there in the morning, but that I would see her in a couple of days. And she said, but Dad, you just got home. She started crying. And that's when I decided to do something different. I took a radio gig uh, in San Francisco, allowed me to stay home more. And the Warriors' Rick Welts called shortly afterward and asked if I'd be interested in being the Warriors' sideline reporter. Mark Jackson was in his second year as head coach. He and I had worked together at ESPN, did uh, NBA Tonight uh, quite a few times. Uh, the radio gig wasn't quite as well-paying as my ESPN gig, and I hadn't covered a particular team closely for more than a decade. So I was kind of itching to feel that again, to really be on top and watch a team evolve over the course of, of a season. Uh, and it felt as if I was coming full circle, having started my career on the Warriors' beat. So it was incredible to be as close. I'm glad that I did it. Uh, it was it an was incredible, incredible experience to be as close as I was to watch Jackson transform the culture with the help of guys like Carl Landry and Jarrett Jack. Steph Curry found a miraculous solution for his ankle issues. Warriors drafted a kid out of Michigan State in the second round named Draymond Green. Uh, I would do my afternoon radio show from press row, press row on game days and then run down and change into a suit and tie and throw on a little makeup all in the men's room just outside the Warriors locker room. And then I'd stick my head out into the hallway as they gathered before every game and eavesdrop on their pregame huddle and their we're all we got, we're all we need chant. And it just, it was cool to watch that, that evolve and, and to sort of be in that place where as a reporter or as a writer, you generally don't get a chance to be that close. And it wasn't as if I was reporting on any of it, but I got to watch that whole thing evolve. So here's the thing. As much as I loved the access, I wasn't cut out for being a team sideline reporter because you're actually more of a cheerleader. When the team went to the playoffs that first year and Ray Ritter, the head of media relations, brought me some Warriors polo shirts and asked that I wear them when I was doing my interviews, I'll be honest, it felt awkward. The only time I'd ever worn logoed apparel was for the news or broadcast outlet I worked for. I suppose up until then I had clung to the notion that NBC wrote my checks, not the Warriors, but I wasn't blind to the cozy relationship between the two either. I mean, after all, Welch was the one who called and asked if I was interested in the job. Keep in mind, I was also still writing for Bleacher Report and appearing on NBA TV, so I still felt a need to maintain some semblance of autonomy. I really, I felt conflicted. That's, that's the truth of it. And I knew that I wasn't going to make a career out of being a sideline reporter. So I, 
I knew Ray was perfectly within his right to ask and that most, if not all, team sideline reporters would have worn the gear proudly, without any qualms. That's just not how I had conducted myself for nearly 20 years in the business. It just wasn't in my DNA. And while I knew how to walk the line on broadcasts, game broadcast, team broadcasts, I felt my duty on my radio show was to be honest. It was not to carry the water. I know there's other people in the business, other people in the Bay Area who have made long careers out of doing both by not doing that. I just couldn't. That's call it a character flaw of mine. I just couldn't. Uh, Now, this in hindsight is also where politics and trying to be true to yourself can create problems. It also made some for some strange moments beyond me, but bottom line is I, I felt Mark Jackson was unfairly maligned by owner Joe Lacob. I still do, and I said so on the radio. Being the sideline reporter and calling out the owner probably isn't the best way to preserve your role, even if it's <laughs> through another outlet. So after the second season, NBC Bay Area and I mutually agreed to part ways. They also let uh, Jackson go and it was also my, look my radio show had been moved from the afternoon drive to the morning drive so uh, toward the end of that second season and so I had been driving straight to the studio in San Francisco after games in Oakland and crashing on a couch there before doing my show rather than sacrificing an hour to drive home and then another hour to get to the studio uh, when you're leaving the arena after 11 p.m. and you have a 5 a.m. show meeting for a morning show from 6 to 10, you can do the math. I made it work, but it really wasn't something I would have wanted to do for a full season anyway. So uh, we mutually agreed to part ways, uh, NBC and myself. Now here's the thing. I talked about some of the strange moments or odd moments that were beyond me. Jackson's Christianity is no secret, and while I don't believe he's being blackballed as Kendrick Perkins has suggested elsewhere, appears on FS1, uh, as I do, uh, he wasn't, he certainly didn't hide it, it was certainly part of, of who he was with the Warriors, and what was weird is that no one, and the reason I say I don't think he was blackballed because of his Christianity is because on more than one occasion, he had a group in to preach after a game in Oracle, and I'd see players and team personnel who would later abandon Jackson, listening intently to his sermon and supporting him in his faith. It was just weird when I juxtaposed the two. To me, feels like a contradiction, but... So be it. Jackson's faith also put him at odds with Welts, who you probably know, or if you don't, is gay. Now, I admired Welts long before he came out. In fact, I was the one who did the story, wrote a story talking to him when he decided to come out for ESPN at the time. Admired him before that, admired him before he joined the Warriors. But I sense that my defense of Jackson proved to be an insult to Welts in some way. Or maybe it's because he endorsed me as the sideline reporter and I ultimately couldn't adjust to being an in-house guy and that 
may have cost him some points within the organization. I don't know. All I know is I've reached out to him more than once to find out why he distanced himself from me or if there was, there is something there between us and he's refused to respond or address it. Literally has run away at times. And so for the record, I know firsthand Jackson, while I don't uh, ascribe to what his faith tells him about uh, sexuality, uh, and I know firsthand Jackson didn't help himself in several ways, aside from whatever uh, issues there may have been between him and Welts. I also know that Lacob or those doing his bidding painted an unfair picture of Jackson that is a big reason he's, he's never held another coaching job which I just feel is inherently unfair. And Laker can go all James Dolan on me and deny me access to his new arena, and I'll maintain that as the case. You can part ways, and you don't have to bury the guy uh, if you're letting him go. And that's what I feel happened. All right, so that does it for part four of my stories from the Warriors' old home. As I mentioned, I'm recording this in Las Vegas. Just had dinner with Steve Kerr. Part of our conversation was about moving to the new building and what lies in store with so much change on and off the court. And trust me, seen this with other teams, it's a big change. They're staying in the Bay Area, but they're all creatures of habit. Changing where you live, changing your practice routine, how long it takes to get there, all of that, there's going to be, they're going to have to acclimate. To all of that. Just the, the Sacramento Kings and the indications that they were potentially going to move, which was a very real possibility, my Kings fans. Uh, the, just the possibility that moving to Seattle rattled that team, threw it off. And I'm sure that there's going to be a period of time where there's going to be an adjustment here. The other part is this team's just not going to be nearly as good, especially defensively. But Steve said he's looking forward to the challenge of it all, as I am looking forward to telling the story of how that challenge is met. It will not be anything close to what Oakland or the arena or the Warriors were in the, beast, uh, in the East Bay, in the Beast Bay. Take that. And that's okay. Look, I, there's something about when you start your career – and that's what happened for me, essentially, with the Warriors in Oakland. It, nothing could ever match that. But change is good. I'd like to think my career path is certainly proof of that. All right. In the next podcast, Will Blackman and I will continue to spar over what we're seeing in NFL training camps. And we will have a full slate of preseason games to make far too much of. Uh, don't forget, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts and send us a screenshot of that rating or review to at Buker Friends to be eligible to win some prizes. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.